Dear listener, we hope that you've been enjoying the variety of podcasts that we have on our network. Now is your opportunity to help us by telling us a little more about you. Please visit jcastnetwork.org survey and complete our listener survey so that we can learn more about you and your listening habits. Again, please visit jcastnetwork.org survey. Thanks so much. You are listening to The Stender with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Knopf, please visit mikeknopf.com. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Earlier this week, I had the opportunity to take my in-laws to a, a, a really beautiful treasure that Richmond has called Richmond Hill. I don't know if you've, any of you have ever been to or know about Richmond Hill, but Richmond Hill is an ecumenical monastery. Uh, I don't know many other places like this really anywhere in the world. I mean, it's truly a treasure that, that Richmond has. The story of it, which is sort of ancillary to the point that I want to make, but just as a little background, the story of it is that uh, it was uh, founded uh, as a Catholic uh, monastery or a Catholic nunnery uh, right after the Civil War uh, with nuns who were charged with uh, praying for the healing of the city of Richmond as it, Richmond was in ashes. And it was continuously a monastery uh, for all that time, from the 1860s on, uh, until it was uh, purchased from the Catholic Church in the 1980s by a group of ecumenical uh, ministers in Richmond, uh, among whom was uh, Reverend Ben Campbell, who spoke here on Tisha B'Av uh, uh, last year, uh, to be to continue to be a monastery whose charge is to uh, pray for the welfare and the healing of the city of Richmond. They do a lot of uh, they do a lot of uh, spiritual direction work and a lot of uh, ecumenical retreats, and uh, they do a lot of work with uh, racial justice and and uh, uh, racial reconciliation. Really, really extraordinary place. You, it's a it's a beautiful place to go and visit. Uh, if you haven't been, I encourage you to go. It's uh, right in David's neighborhood in Churchill. But they have a new stained glass window, new meaning when they repurposed the monastery in the 1980s, they refurbished a number of the areas of, uh, of the facility and added some new design features. And one of these is a stained glass window called God's Time. It's an amazing stained glass. It's frosted glass and stained glass mixed. And what basically was it, what it does is it functions as a sundial. So the sun hits it at certain times of the day and it tells you what time it really is. Because we create clocks, we create time as an attempt to kind of control time, right? We establish hours based on the needs of humanity, not necessarily based on the rhythms of nature. We, it's even more acute during daylight savings time where sometimes seven o'clock is light out and sometimes it's dark out. Now seven o'clock is light out. It's hard to do bedtime. And now, you know, six o'clock is still dark out, but my kids want to wake up at that time anyway, but, or 5.30 or whatever ungodly hour they want to wake up. But anyway, you see what we do. We, we overlay our conception of time 
and our needs of time on top of the time that exists foundationally in nature, which the which Richmond Hill and this window refer to as God's time, the pattern of the seasons, the pattern of the sun, the trajectory of the earth moving around the sun, the way that, uh, that the positioning of the earth plays shadows off of, uh, from the sun onto, onto the earth. All of these things are manifestations of God's time, which we sometimes might be sensitive to and aware of, but often we seek to dominate and control, overlaying our own sense of time on top of it. That notion is particularly acute for us as we think about the celebration of Jewish holidays. Because the Jewish holidays, as we read about in the Torah reading today, all fall according to God's time. Right? These are the sacred gatherings, the Torah says, and you should appoint them in their season. Not whenever you feel like they should fall. Don't arbitrarily pick the second Tuesday of February, that's when it should be. But rather, whenever it is, is when it is. Whenever Pesach falls, that's when it falls. Which is why I love uh, every year when people say, oh, you know, Rosh Hashanah is early this year. And my answer is, no, Rosh Hashanah is not early this year. It's always in the first of Tishrei. That's always when it falls. It's always the uh, new moon of Tishrei. We know exactly when it is. And Pesach comes whether you're ready to eat matzah or you're not ready to eat matzah. Whether you're ready to clear out your house or you're not. You can't just say, you know, I didn't have, I, like, this was me this year. Oh, I don't really have time to clear out my house. I don't really have time to, I'm just going to delay Pesach for a week. I'm going to celebrate it down the line. Now, it turns out that the Torah actually has a mechanism for that. If you uh, are impure uh, during the celebration of Pesach, when Passover really involved the slaughtering of animals that you needed to be ritually pure for, if you couldn't get ritually pure in time for Passover, you had what was called Pesach Sheni, which was a month later, and you could uh, sacrifice the Paschal offering then, okay? So... All you nudniks out there who want to say you're not exactly right, Pesach, you can delay. Okay, I get it. Right? There's, there is that, that fail-safe. But in general, the holidays fall and the holidays fall whether or not we're ready for them to happen. And they last for as long as they are going to last whether we are prepared for that or not, whether we want it to happen or not, whether we are sick of all of the matzah or not, we have however many more hours we have until we can eat uh, pizza again. Although, personally, I think matzo pizza is better than regular pizza, but anyway. Okay, we can have that debate over lunch, over matzo pizza. And so we are charged with observing the holiday for however long the holiday lasts, because it's built into the rhythm of time itself, built in the fabric of nature itself when we observe this festival. It's not dictated, at least in the Jewish tradition's conception, it's not dictated by our dominion over time. This is an instance in which time has dominion over us. And in that way, it reveals something profound and true about the human condition which is as much dominion as we might want to have over time, as much control as we might want to have over our schedule and our calendar and 
when we observe things and when we don't observe things and when we want to get things done and when we don't want to get things done and when we can delay things and what we'll do later and what we'll do now, as much as we want to have control over time and all of the ways that we seek to have control over time, nature comes along to remind us, no, you don't. You don't actually have control over time. And at a certain point, the time comes for all of us. And most of us don't know when that is. It's almost in that way like the Jewish holidays. It will come whether it feels early to you or late to you. But it will come. And so the rhythm of the Jewish holidays on the calendar, the nature of our marking of God's time as the underlay of how we overlay our time, the nature of marking God's time ought, I think, to serve as a reminder to each of us, and perhaps that's why it comes in the first place, is to serve as a reminder to each of us that we don't actually have dominion over time. And that at a certain point, whether it feels early or late, our time will be up. And with that reality, we therefore have a choice about how we're going to use each day that we are allotted, knowing that we are not ultimately in control of when our time will come. Will we pretend as if we have full control over the way the seasons will march on? Will we pretend that we can inevitably just put things off, do them later, tend to that relationship later, get that task done later, care for our loved ones later, care for our bodies later? Or will we recognize that there is a time underneath the time that we mark ourselves that is beyond our control? And insofar as it's beyond our control, will we take advantage of the time that we have while we have it? I think that that is part of the reality of why our tradition has us commemorate Yizkor on holy days. Because Yizkor, remembering our loved ones, on these days in particular, is at least in part about remembering that that will be our fate too one day. That we will be the ones who will be remembered one day. And we may or may not know when that day is. So, as the time marches on beyond our control, we have a choice about how we are going to use that time. However much time we have left. We have the choice of how we're going to use it. And Yizka reminds us of the temporality of our existence. But there's also, I think, another dimension of Yizkor and also another dimension of God's time, which is insofar as God's time reminds us of our temporality, our materiality, the fact that we're only here for a limited quantity of time, 
God's time and the holidays that mark God's time remind us of that. There's another truth of God's time, which is that because it's God's time, it is eternal. That means it stretches out beyond our own existences, and it also holds simultaneously past, present, and future. And if you think about the holidays, they mark that as well. I mentioned in the introduction to the Haftorah that we read on Pesach, which we usually think about as commemorating an event in history, we read about the ultimate Pesach, the eventual Pesach in the future. Because we hold in this day, in this moment, past, present, and future, all together simultaneously. Rabbi Simcha Raphael, who is one of the world's uh, leading experts in Jewish uh, rituals around death and views the afterlife, we had him here uh, last year to speak to our Hever Kadisha on uh, Zion Adar, which is the day in which we celebrate our Hever Kadisha. By the way, I'll just pause for a second to offer a quick commercial that if you are not a member of our Hever Kadisha, you ought to consider becoming a member of our Hever Kadisha because it is the Hever Kadisha is uh, the group of men and women who prepare bodies for burial uh, and it is uh, not only a uh, sacred and powerful act to be involved in uh, preparing bodies for burial but also what our tradition calls chesed shel emet, true love and kindness, an act of true love to be able to offer an act of kindness for somebody that they can't repay for you. If you haven't thought or considered of the possibility of being involved in the Hever Kadisha, you really, really ought to, and you should talk, can I point you out? Don't point, yeah. Talk to Rita Stein. Yeah, there you go. Talk to Rita Stein about it. Talk to me about it afterwards if you want. Okay. Um, so anyway, we had Rabbi Simcha Raphael here to uh, speak to our Kadisha last year. And he said then, and he writes in his book, that Yizkor is a reminder that, the walls, that, that what separates the living from the dead is not a wall, but a window. That on Yizkor the veil that separates the living and the dead becomes increasingly transparent. It reveals, actually, a fundamental truth at the core of reality, that our world is permeated with those who may physically not be present, but who are nevertheless eternally present with us. That even though we are here materially, that doesn't mean that all those who have come before us are not also here with us. And Yizkor is a reminder of that, and we observe it on the holidays, particularly because the holidays are this fusion of past, present, and future. They remind us that we are living in God's time, and in God's time there's no such thing as past, present, and future. There is only eternity. And since there is only eternity, it means that all souls the souls of what we call living and dead are walking together and are held together in this moment. And so that also means that the lesson that we ought to use our time wisely because we don't know how much we have of it is not an invitation for frivolity or levity. 
It's not a uh, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die sort of lesson. Although eating and drinking be merry is not a bad thing necessarily. But what it means is that every single one of our actions has eternal reverberations. How we act in each of those moments which may be our last moment will live on beyond our material existence. We live in eternal time. We occupy eternal space. And so therefore, it's not only a question of how we will use each moment that we have, but how we will move, use each moment that we have. How will we infuse those moments with sanctity? How will we infuse those moments with meaning and purpose? How will we further the agenda of God in the world? How will we ultimately be remembered by those who say Yizkor for us once we are gone? And we do it on the holidays because the holidays enable us to be in this space, be in this time where we transcend past, present, and future. As you begin reflecting on those who have come before you, and as we turn to the Yizker service in a moment. Take time not only to remember those who you've loved and lost and to feel their presence here with you today, but also to consider how will you utilize whatever time you have? What will you be remembered for in Yizkers to come? What will be your reverberations in eternity? And then we will truly merit to be in a space of being sacred in the past, loving and embracing in the present, and also hopeful for the future. Hot Samantha.